Jamie Lewis, and this is Consumed, candid conversations about life and flavor. Before we get into it, I want to share a bit about our sponsor. The inaugural season of Consumed is sponsored by Slow Life Magazine. Now in its 10th year, Slow Life Magazine celebrates the culture of San Luis Obispo with features on the people, influences, products, and businesses that keep this city moving and shaking. I've written the food column in Slow Life Magazine since 2015, where I cover restaurants and food trends here. And over the years, I've seen how devoted Slow Life Magazine's following really is. Readers love learning about their community and weaving into the fabric of this very special place. To learn how you can subscribe, be sure to visit their website at slowlifemagazine.com. Today, my chat is with Jenna Congdon, a wine director and wine sales rep on the Central Coast. She also writes about wine and food for a number of publications and is one of my favorite voices at Edible San Luis Obispo magazine. We've known each other for years, and what I appreciate most about Jenna is her openness and curiosity. It's been a treat to watch her move over time from a tasting room attendant to a bona fide sommelier. We caught up on a rainy morning talking about what it's like to rep Austrian and German wines in Slow County, not easy always, how a career in wine and motherhood influence each other, also not easy always, and about Zuni chicken, which is always good. Thanks for listening. Here's my conversation with Jenna Congdon. You're my friend from actually way back. Yeah. I mean, we weren't, I don't think we had actually met in person until... No, it took. A, it was a long time before we met in person. Yeah, we were, we were online. We were blog friends. We were, and I remember uh, <laughs> we were blog friends. And I remember um, you were. I had been invited to join Facebook, probably in two thousand six or seven. And I remember I didn't realize I was joining. My friend had invited me, and I magically joined. And all of a sudden, there was. I think it went into my contacts and like made me friends with lots of people. And you were the first person to respond and you're like, welcome to Facebook. Get ready to like waste a lot of time. It was something like, well, yeah. And you know what? That came true. Yes. It's yeah. It's a little bit of, you know, you can never find the bottom of it. And no, um, it's a black hole. It is a black hole. It's Pandora's (laughs) box of like old boyfriends. It's just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Of that. Um, if I can say what I think of as your background, what I know is that you grew up in Santa Cruz. True. And you came to Cal Poly, and I think you came to study education, right? Originally, I came for nutrition. Oh. So I was in food science and nutrition, mm-hmm. and um, and I just it just wasn't wasn't sparking joy. Why did you get into that? Why did you think you wanted to get into that? Um, I was I was an athlete. And, um, you know, I, I was really attracted to the idea of, um, of nutrition and, and becoming a registered dietitian and working with athletes. And, um, I love food. I always Mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, I don't think at that point in time, it was much of a, a revelation for me, like a following until I think I had a cultural foods class my freshman year. Yeah. What department was that in? It was in food science and nutrition. Okay. And, um, and this little woman that, you know, she looked like she had never eaten in her life, but she 
had so much passion about all these foods and we had a lab where we would watch videos about um, foods and talk about the origins of like the hamburger or um, just certain kind of cultural food traditions here and abroad. Oh, it's amazing. But here's the downside. Like this was my freshman year, right? I had no money. I had no job. And you're 19. Yeah. And so I had my little dorm card, you know, so, so here you're looking at these beautiful pictures of food and you're watching people eat them on the video. There's these, you know, cultural family gatherings and it just looks so amazing. And And then then, you are, and then you go to VG's (laughs) and then you are not eating them. Yes. (laughs) And you're eating like your bowl of rice with soy sauce. Cause it's like, what else do you eat? You know? So, um, so, but that was, that was sort of an awakening to me that class. Like I, I remember it very well. Um, Mm -hmm. the rest of nutrition, um, I, I had a hard time finding people that I gelled with and, um, in the, in the college and I was really lost. So then I went into education. Yeah. There. And you were thinking, if I'm remembering this right, you were thinking you would be, was it a kindergarten teacher or pre- preschool teacher? Yeah, just like primary, probably yeah. like first or second grade. Um, I come from like a whole network family background of educators. Yeah. Um, everyone in my, in my family is, uh, you know, teachers or, um, coaches I my, mm-hmm. on the like male side of it, it's all football coaches. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> you come it's from pretty, football coaching stock. I do. I absolutely <laughs> do. And so, um, and that might have been where that athlete and nutrition kind of thing spurred from. But you know, I'm like, well, if all else fails, I could teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was going through that, I was sort of like, well, I don't, I don't really like this either. Mm. Um, and you did teach at one point too, right? Did you have a preschool? Yeah, I taught preschool um, for uh, a place in Arroyo Grande. And And was that a good fit? It was, um, it kind of brought me back to that nutrition thing again, because it was a, it was a low income preschool. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those kids were going for like, you know, 67 cents a day or something like that. And the food that was in their lunchbox every day just like broke my heart. And that, and there was other kids who weren't using it for low income and, and you could see these differences in their lunches and then you could see the difference in in the kid and behavioral and, you know, um, just being able to grasp concepts that we were teaching. So that side of it was really hard. And knowing that these kids were not going home, um, to their house afterwards, they were going to go to, to another like caregivers mm-hmm. because their, their parents are working, you know, yeah. two jobs to, to live here. Yeah. So, um, it was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was hard and I was working in restaurants at the same time Mm. at night. So kind of burning both ends of the candle, um, Mm. bartending at the time. Where were you bartending? Uh, let's see. I bartended at a few places. I was at, um, Firestone Grill. I started my 21st birthday bartending. (laughs) Yeah. They were like, they were waiting for me behind that bar that, yeah. Oh my. Yeah. And so I, I, I worked there for a while and then I went to Cafe Roma. Yeah. And I um, worked in the bar there. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Fundango. Yeah. Which used to have a great, well, Basque food, right? Yeah. That was the best restaurant. It was good. Really good food. Yeah. Um, um, still the same owner. He just decided to dumb it down. Yeah. What's it called now? Buffalo? Yeah. Know, something with a buffalo. Right. Buffalo I think pub it, and right. grill or something. Oh my gosh. Is he, and he's the same guy who owns Black Sheep, I think, isn't he? Yeah, it's a well, it's a husband wife and I think they okay, divorced. But, okay. Um and she got she got black sheep and he got buffalo. Okay. And then 
Yeah. Jake and I had the most amazing albondigas soup, maybe when it was Fandango. I think it was. I had never had it before, and it was it was so good. Um, yeah, and I kind of, I feel like when it changed over to being Buffalo Grill, I think maybe I had just had a child or something. I All of a sudden, I walked downtown. It's like completely different. Um, yeah. It was sad, but, um, great little bar at the time, you know, I I made so many mojitos. Um, it was, it was a fun culture to be a part of at the time. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that was when I was also teaching preschool. So like bartending on one side, teaching preschool, the other side, um, was, was a little rough. Yeah. Uh, but then in the preschool is where I fell into wine. So how how did that happen? Like ironic, right? You would think on the restaurant side from the bar. Yeah. Right. But, um, one of the parents was the tasting room manager at Tally Vineyards or assistant manager at the time. And, um, she just asked me if I wanted a a job on the weekends. And I was like, well, I kind of have a third job. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like a third job? Kind of have a lot of jobs, but, um, uh, you know, a couple of days here and there. And she's like, do you like wine? You're great with people. Mm. Um, so I started working in the tasting room. Did you like Tally. wine? I did. Yeah. So my dad's a big wino. Okay. Um, so, you know, my first teddy bear was Fetzer, was named Fetzer. Cause, oh my God. <laughs> cause we had like a box, you know, cause he got his wine club shipments yeah. or whatever. And, um, Back in the day, Fetzer was a little higher quality, or they had some, you know, very I know high I'm quality even thinking wines. Fetzer Wine Club shipment. He was getting wine club shipments from Fetzer. Yeah, and from Ridge, and oh, wow. you know, um, at the time, uh, the Mondavi, and kind of all those stalwart yep. California uh, Cab and Merlot producers. In fact, I think my first memory of wine is Merlot and I didn't know it. You know, I didn't know what I was smelling or drinking. Yeah. Um, cause my dad would just kind of shove a glass mm-hmm. in my face and be like, try this. And I'm like, Oh God, it's terrible. Jim, I didn't know that about you. You have a, not a pedigree so much, but like you have a taste memory was implanted on you very early. It was. Cause, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't realize it was Merlot. And then coming of age in wine, we came of age in wine, like right around sideways. Yeah. Um, where it was like, don't drink Merlot, you know? So, so really I didn't, uh, expose myself to California Merlot for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then once I did, I was like, oh my God, like this is exactly what my dad was trying to get me to drink all those Mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. And then I actually liked it. (laughs) I, I mean, it, it just depends on where it's from and who's making it. Right. Just like everything else. Just like everything else. Yeah. Yeah, Interesting. So you went to Tally and you were just working behind the tasting room bar. Yes. To begin with. But then what happened? Um, so that was about, I was about six months in and I was still doing that. You know, I was just finishing up um, my degree at, at Cal Poly and trying to decide if I wanted to go on to, um, the credential program mm-hmm. and didn't really know. And, uh, a sales position came up in the offices at Tally. It was a full-time, um, position. And so I kind of put my name in for it mm-hmm. and I didn't think I really stood a chance, but that's one thing, um, that I think is really great about Tally. There's a lot of things I think is great about Tally, yeah. but but one of the things um, is that they hire from within mm-hmm. and they promote up. I mean, the current winemaker, Eric Johnson, he worked in the tasting room after did I did. Really? Yeah, that's I where he got that. his start there. So they invest in people. They do. From the, from the beginning. When they see, you know, when they see it's a good person and they see it, it's a hard worker, mm. um, then they'll give them the tools and, and kind of, 
bring them along it's as long as rare. as long as people will stay there they'll they'll have them as long as they're the right fit for the job so That's it's awesome. really it's very cool it's and what cool. was doing sales like? Because is that the first time you'd ever sold something? Yeah. And I, you know, to say it was um, sales was a little glorified. It was more, it was a lot of admin, it was yeah. a lot of order entry, um, a lot of chasing invoices, calling people, trying to collect money. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really liked that side of the job. And you, well, and I mean, <laughs> you still do a lot of that. I still do a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, once people met me, then, you know, I, I laid the hammer down. And then once they met me, they were... Um, not afraid of me anymore. Yeah. Like, oh, you're the money lady. Yeah, no, dang you're it. not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're so you're so tiny. And I'm like, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> they're never gonna pay me. Never. Exactly. Yeah. But then you from Tally. I mean, I think that was around the time that I met you online. Yes. yes. My online buddy. Yep. Um, and I met you not necessarily because of wine, but because of yoga. Because of yoga. <laughs> Which is a huge, well, I mean, it was a huge part of your life then, but I think it still is, right? It still is. Yeah. It's it's one of those things I think it will always be um, a part of my life. And, and it's, you know, it's sometimes it's it's a larger part and sometimes yeah. there's there's not much time for it. And so I carve out what I can and I'm thankful to always have it. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I taught yoga for a little while and, um, and I was very, very devoted for a long time to Ashtanga yoga. Yeah. Um, but now that I'm almost 40, I feel like my body does not love Ashtanga yoga. So it's a young a, person's game, right? Right. There. It feels like it, or it feels like maybe if I had just kept it up or yeah. something, but then yeah. children, you know, children. Yeah. So, um, I had kids and then yoga, teaching yoga felt, it didn't feel right because I wasn't you know, I wasn't cultivating my own practice. So then to try mm-hmm. to instill any sort of inspiration in other people was something that I wasn't even, even able to find time for in yeah. my life. Um, just didn't feel right. So I took a step back from teaching, Yeah, but then I got to practice again in those times when I would have been teaching. So right. gosh, and what, and yoga, I can't remember exactly, but you got into yoga for some like you well, I got in a car accident. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I was a gym rat, you know, I loved, yeah. like I, I mentioned before I was an athlete. Mm-hmm. I loved running. I loved lifting weights, um, all of that. And, uh, you know, the chiropractor said, yeah, you can't, you can't do any of that right now. Oh my gosh. You How can, old were you when you got in an accident? It was, I was 21. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Awful. I mean like what an awful time to have that happen. I'm sorry not to no, overdramatize, it really, but I mean, it wasn't that bad. It was, it, it wasn't like it was something that was going to be for the rest of my life, okay. but they were like, okay, for the next six months to a year, you need to not do these yeah. high impact things. Um, but to, you know, at that time when you're exercising six days a week yeah. and they're like, you cannot run anymore. And it's like, wait, what? And that may as well be forever. You don't even hear that six month side of it. All yeah. you hear is like, you can't run anymore. And it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, what am I going to do? So, um, they, they suggested yoga. And then I went and found like the most rigorous form of yoga possible. Totally. That's, and then she's like, that's not what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, did it help? I mean, did, were you able to do Ashtanga yes. yoga from the yeah. beginning? Okay. Yeah, it did help. It did help. There was, you know, certain imbalances in my body that it certainly um, uh, showed me mm-hmm. and maybe enhanced a little bit, but I was able to kind of work through them eventually. And Yeah. Yeah. And now I run again when I want to and I mean, everything's fine, but yeah. it, it allowed me to find yoga because mm-hmm. I probably never would have tried it. Yeah. I would just stay on that path of running and lifting weights and, you know, doing your 45 minute to an hour and a half workout at the gym every day. 
I was talking yesterday to James Onaveros about taste in wine over time, like the evolution of a person's taste. I mean, and that extends to all kinds of things. And my, my taste in wine has gone from very, very concentrated stuff to very nuanced stuff, a lot lighter. And then I think about the evolution of what I've I'm a, I live in my body also. I live in my brain a lot too, but I live in my body a lot and I've always enjoyed exercise. And the stuff that I used to love was that very concentrated, very intense. And now I actually find that I like a completely different thing. It's It needs to be more, again, more nuanced, maybe more specific. And um, yeah, I think that that's just the evolution of taste for, for me has been very similar to yours. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with you. I, I started out drinking the bigger, bigger reds. In fact, I thought, um, when I first got into wine, I thought, uh, red, like real wine drinkers only drank drink red, red wine. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I think a lot of people, this is, this is a very kind of, uh, pervasive and, yeah. uh, a lot of people believe it. When you see a movie and someone's drinking wine, it's rare that they're drinking white wine. I've never thought about. I'm gonna. They're look for drinking that now. something very specific in a big bowl glass that's red. Yeah, and that I mean, I find I drink both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I drink, I'm an equal opportunist really wine drinker. Yeah. Um, however, I find I think some of the best wines in the world and the best values to be found yep. are in white wine. Yep. Um, and and some of the most misunderstood, uh, wines in the world are, and, and best wines in the world are white wine, like Chenin Blanc or mm-hmm. Riesling where, you know, they don't, they don't get the credit they deserve no. here in the States. At least I don't think a lot of people look down on them and yeah, I just love Riesling. You don't, so do I. <laughs> and that's what I told him yesterday. And I don't think that they fit into the box of what we understand as what a wine should taste like it, coming from the central coast. There's a very specific imprint of what wine should taste like. And some people really love tasting things outside of that box. And then other people reject it out of hand. And sometimes even before they actually taste it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Before, um, before I give someone a glass of Riesling, if I tell them, you know, I tell them it's Riesling. Sometimes people just tell me, pour me something that you think is going to go with with what I'm eating. It's always Riesling. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you want to think of something like, and it's not always, I'm not, we're not saying like, it's always that same glass of Riesling, but stylistically across the board, it can go from completely bone dry. Um, and on that bone dry strat side, it can be like light, ethereal, delicate, yeah. or it could be incredibly powerful yeah. and still bone dry Riesling. Um, and then it goes all the way to very sweet, but even when there's a lot of sweetness, there can be a lot of acidity, yeah. it keeps it super balanced. So it is, it's like one of those things, it can go with anything. Yeah. You can find the right Riesling to go with, with that bite. Yeah. But when you, when I will tell people, you know, I'll put a glass in front of them and they'll be like, what is it? And I say, it's Riesling. Well, I don't like sweet wines. Yeah. This is a dry Riesling. That's such an old, it's, it's, is it from the seventies? Is that when Riesling kind of went bad? The blue nun days. Yeah. Yeah. It's seventies and eighties. And and then thereafter, um, Germany was sure, and they still are that Americans 
love sweet things. Yeah, they, they are you right know, about that. We like our sugar and we do. We absolutely do. But um, they, they don't drink as much. They drink much more dry wine in Germany mm-hmm. um, and, and make more dry wine than they make sweet. But they send us all the sweet Rieslings because yeah. they think that Americans, that's all they drink. Yeah. There was some study at one time. It was like a grocery store uh, blind study where they had taste testers come and they had two bottles of wine that were completely blind, couldn't see what they were. And, and the person giving the study asked a customer, do you like sweet wine or do you like completely dry wine? And overwhelming majority of people said, I like dry wine. Mm -hmm. And then they said, okay. And they poured them a sweet wine and a dry wine and overwhelming majority wanted the sweet wine. Right. That's what they liked. Yes. Well, yeah, that's people's that's understanding is the off. connection between, and that that's it always um, surprises me too, uh, because people will tell me, "Oh, I don't like sweet wines," um, and then the wine that they pick, even though it's red, has a good amount of residual sugar in right. it. You know, a big red Paso wine mm-hmm. will oftentimes have it hasn't gone completely dry; it has some residual sugar. Um, yeah. But these are the same people that tell me that they don't like sweet wines. Yeah, um, but it's just. And that's the thing is we also, uh, confuse sweet with fruity. Yeah. You know, I anything do. That's I mean, like, I know that I do. Right. So it's, it's very, it's really hard to, it's hard to train your tongue and train your palate mm-hmm. to discern the difference between fruit driven wines, um, that have a lot of stone fruit that have a lot of, you know, uh, apricot or, or peach or even apple, mm-hmm. um, but then finish dry Yeah. versus a big red that has sweetness to it yeah that's actually sweet so the first one's fruity but dry the second one's red but sweet um I never quite got the hang of that and I think part of the reason I didn't unlike you I didn't have I wasn't around wine all the time where it was just open bottles available exactly I had to do it in my brain more than in my palate and that's why I did not do great on the tasting, but did great on the test, you know, test right. was fine, but tasting was never as strong because I had not been rigorous in that tasting something different every day, comparing the same variety or same, um, yeah, same variety through different styles or different countries or exposure is, is limited, yeah. even though, which is so funny because here we are in this wine, amazing wine region and you yeah. can go to a tasting room. You can go to four tasting rooms that are within a stone's throw from each other and, and taste through like 20 wines in a yeah. day. But stylistically, a lot of them are very similar. Yes. So you're not, you're not pushing your palate outside of these boundaries, mm-hmm. um, and I struggled with that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought, I think when I was maybe 24, um, maybe 26, I guess around 26, um, I went to a trade tasting in New York or in San Francisco mm-hmm. um, for an importer that I had just started working f- for. And I was like so in over my head. Yeah. And I had already worked in the wine industry for years. Had you, locally. Were you at Tally at the same time? You were working at Tally and also doing this other... No, I had I had left Tally because we moved to Paso. Oh, yeah. And I didn't want to commute to Tally, so I became a wine rep mm-hmm. and drove in my car <laughs> hours <laughs> every day. It was like one of those great ironies of my life. And I still do that. But I didn't want to commute. I didn't want to commute. I, I didn't want to drive an hour and a half a day. To sit at a desk. Yeah. yeah. Um, so instead, you know, I would drive four hours a day, mm-hmm. but 
my time would be my own Mm -hmm. and I'd be visiting people all day and staying very, you know, social and not sitting at a desk. So, um, I, I liked the change, but at that same time, um, I was working for a California based brokerage that carried tally that Mm. sold tally. Um, and I was approached, um, uh, and asked to work for an importer who wasn't represented here on the central coast. So I started working for them and it was, um, Austrian and German and French, Mm. um, Spanish, Portuguese wines, uh, but very strong portfolio of Austrian and German. Um, and so the first tasting that I went to was an Austrian and German tasting and there was over 200 wines being poured, Mm. um, that were all Austrian and German. So you can imagine like there was, you know, two thirds of it was Riesling. Yeah. Um, which was just amazing. So when you say like you don't have the exposure, that gives you the exposure. Yeah, and you can go sure. through and taste 130 different Rieslings and go from completely complete trocken, yeah. you know, all the way to Bernauschlese and kind of taste the differences between soil and, and yeah. regions and um, must weight and everything else. But what um, made me hungry to kind of continue this exposure and, and find as much as I could uh, was meeting someone my same age who who mm-hmm. had grown up in New York. Mm-hmm. And we were at RN74 <laughs> going through a list of Burgundies and he knew exactly what he, you know, what producers were good and um, what to order. And, and I was just like, how... How, where, how do you know all of this? And what was your reaction in that moment when you meet somebody your same age who is clearly ahead in one way? Was your reaction like excitement or was it, did you feel any shame about that? I didn't, I don't think I felt shame, but it was the first time that I realized that um, even being in a provincial wine region, meaning like a local wine region, um, can hinder you. Yeah. Right. Some can handicap you at least, um, or can put blinders on you, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it was that for, it was really the first time to me where I was like, I gotta, I gotta push myself outside of the local, uh, wine scene. Mm-hmm. And, and I gotta, I gotta know these wines. I was just so intrigued. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it wasn't shame. It was more, um, it was more inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I, we're still lucky here in California, that we, you know, there still is options. And in this day and age, I mean, if it was, if you lived in a small town in Burgundy. True. Then yeah, you're going to drink those wines. Right. Yeah. Um, and really not have a lot of exposure. I have never thought about it that way. The fact, I mean, I always think I, I kind of have an American chip on my shoulder about, um, you know, I just assume that people in say Western Europe have a much broader exposure to wines than I do because partly because of the concentration of the countries, it's so they are very close. close. And there's, I mean, you know, with the EU, there's been a lot of, you know, back and forth and crossing boundaries, but, um, but you're so right. Somebody who's in, um, a rural or like a village area, they wouldn't be drinking, they likely won't be drinking South African wines or Australian no. wines or, you know, right. they're sticking to what they know. And that's really not that different from us. It's but, not. But we it's have really that American not. palate that wants to taste everything. And we have this melting pot mentality of, well, I should know all of these things. There's so much to know. There's and so taste. much to know. Yeah, really, really, it is. Um, it is overwhelming as you start kind of digging deeper and deeper, you know, yeah. and um 
I think this is the first year that I've really started going into Southern Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. I was really um, set on learning more about Austria, Germany, Spain, Portugal, you know, and now I'm like, oh, Argentina, Chile. I mean, these, these are, there's some very interesting things going on down there right now too, that um, is pushing past, you know, your traditional $8 Argentinian Malbec. Um, But really interesting farming techniques and, and uh, fermentation techniques and Mm. plantings and high, 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 high elevation wines that are just, which can be so beautiful, spectacular and so affordable. I mean, that's what, that's another reason why I pushed myself out of California was that I just couldn't afford it. Can't buy it. Yeah. Uh, Not the way that I drink wine. (laughs) (laughs) It's spoiled for life. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, I've always thought it was interesting, especially being a tasting room attendant, which I've done a little bit of, you're expected to know so much, but you still probably get paid minimum wage. You know, not a whole lot more. Right. Um, And you have one story to tell. And yes. And I got very sick of that. (laughs) Very sick of that. Yeah. Yeah. One story. Okay. So you, you go with this importer and you start, I mean, are you still with them? No, but I was for, um, nine years. Yeah. I worked for them and, and I still, I, they're, they're very much my family. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I still talk them on, and actually my very good friend, Allison became the local rep mm-hmm. for them. She was my, um, assistant manager when I was working at the station. Oh, awesome. yeah. And we both left around the same time and mm-hmm. she took the WineWise job with my blessing. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't think I was ready to get back into sales yet. Yeah. Um, so did some restaurant stuff for a while and then decided to get back into sales again. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, and I'm curious, I don't think we've talked about what you're doing in the past couple months. Has it changed? I mean, what, what, if you were to, if you Just were at a party. adding to it. <laughs> well, I know. Cobbling stuff together. It's yeah, what we're good at. It um, is. But if you were meeting somebody at a party and they said, well, what do you do? I mean, what would you say now? It's so I I still don't know what I say. Yeah. Um, you know, I say I say I work in wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I say I'm a wine director. Mm-hmm. Um, I consult for two restaurants. And what are those? Uh, Slow Provisions. Yeah. Um, here in San Luis Obispo, and then Tin Canteen in Templeton. Oh, I gosh, did you not where know have that? I been? <laughs> I literally did not know that. That's such a good fit too. It I is. Don't... It's really fun. Yeah. It's, I mean, we. Um, We've pushed the program outside of uh, slow boundaries. I mean, mm-hmm. our uh, by the glass is is all based on local mm-hmm. Paso mostly. Um, but it's hot when you have a small program and you're in literally in the heart of wine country yeah. because you're surrounded by 26 or 28 wineries just right there. Yeah. Um, I knew I couldn't create a program that was based on local wines because I would just piss people off every, yeah. you know, like, why don't and you have my wine? I've been in here every day spending money at yeah. your restaurant. And I mean, your wine's great, but maybe I just didn't have room for another Rhone blend. That's right not what now. they hired Jenna Congdon for though, either. <laughs> Honestly, if what you want is just Paso or slow wines, then there's a lot, there are a lot of people who can do that. True. But your, your strength is a really global outlook and definitely a European outlook on wine. I yes. think. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the bottle list is all imports hundred okay. percent. Um, and then, yeah. So by the glasses local and bottle list is imports. And I still, I mean, it is funny cause I still get people who tell me, you know, 
you should really do, you should really put some local wines on the menu. Those would really sell really well. And I'm like, no, this was incredibly intentional. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we spent a long time thinking about it mm-hmm. before, um, before deciding that this would be the way, but that's the way that I, I can make everyone happy. Yeah. Well, and you can get local wine almost anywhere else. Yes. Anywhere else that you go, you can find that. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So do you have a lot of Italian bottles on there? We do. Yeah. It's probably about the, the chef at Tincantine is, is Italian and it's based largely on pizza and pasta. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do have probably about 50% Italian. Cool. Um, and then everything else, um, but it's, it's largely European. So Spanish, um, Austrian, a little bit of German, um, a lot of French. Mm-hmm. So if, if somebody were to ask you what you do, you would say wine director, but do you kind of avoid saying sommelier? I, I mean, it's a really an easy way to tell people what I do yeah. is just to say I'm a sommelier. Um, cause then I, I think that does a pretty good job of like encompassing everything that I do. Cause yeah. I sometimes write about wine, you know, yeah. I sometimes teach classes I some for other wineries or for even for like bachelorette parties and stuff. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> New service rendered. I love it. That's I great. know. I know. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. This whole like independent contractor, you know, Psalm for hire. That is really situation. cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fun. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's, um, a, a little unsettling sometimes because mm. I have no idea. Like every day is so different. I never know what it's going to look like. Yeah. And you, I mean, you of all people understand that as well. Well, it's just like, I, I am very much like you. If I were to meet someone and they say, what do you do? I think I, this is going to sound very, um, well, I don't know how it's going to sound, but I, <laughs> I will often, I think, give away my power and say, I don't know what I do when mm. the truth is like, I am qualified to You're do a, a number yes. and well, you are so qualified to do a number of things, mm-hmm. but we often, I think because we are freelancers at the mm-hmm. end of the day and we cobble a lot of stuff together, I, I often feel less than someone who maybe has a business card that says exactly what they do. Right. Sometimes I wish, I mean, it's, I work for so many different people and then I work for two importers in sales. Um, and so when people ask me for my card, I'm sort of like, which, which one? card do you which want? One? <laughs> <laughs> which one do I give? Yeah. Um, and, and I've got, I actually have one card that it's the geekiest card. I give them the geekiest card cause it's got wine maps all over it. Oh, that is geeky. Yeah. Whose card great. is that? Shotzi. Oh, and you're, and they're kind of new for you now? Or they are. They're okay. very new. Yeah. They're very new. I started with them in late January. And what's their strength? Like what's their thing? Um, it's back to my roots, German yeah. and Austrian. Um, well back to my import roots, I guess. Yeah. Uh, German and Austrian, a little bit of French, mm-hmm. um, Swiss wines, some wines Fun. from Switzerland that are amazing. Um, Northern Italian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're, they're growing. They're a new company too. They started in 2014. Yeah. Um, but the founders, the owners, I knew them from my previous, previous work mm-hmm. with that first importer that I worked for wine wise. Yeah. So, um, so there were people that I already had history with and, yeah. When they heard I was selling um, for another portfolio called Mission Wine Merchants, they just asked if I would be interested in selling Shotzi on the Central Coast. And cool, yeah, and I love it. Would I you? Love their, their wines are amazing. 
Um, I also like their design aesthetic. I don't know. There's something about like the fact that they would have cards that are geeky with maps on it. That seems consistent with the brand that I've seen. And I like that. Yeah, That's very definitely. Cool. Um, are you willing to talk to me about you own, you ripped, you had your own business oh, for yeah. a while. Aww. Oh yeah. Aww. What was that like? <laughs> and, and what was the arc of that story? So that was, um, Scout Fine Wines. And I started that with a partner, Elizabeth Burke, Liz mm-hmm. Burke, um, at the time, I think her name is Elizabeth Wilson now. Mm-hmm. She's married. But uh, we started that in 2000, I think it must have been 2011, um, 2010, somewhere around that. And, um, you know, we were working for a broker at the time. We were both working for the same broker. And we would have wineries come to us and just say, look, we don't, we don't want to work with your company. We just want to work with you. Mm, yeah. And it happened a couple of times to where we were like, well, maybe we should, we should do this. Maybe there's room for this. Um, and so we started with a couple of wineries, mm-hmm. Anthony Bizzano, as you know, <gasps> Folkway, mm, he was heart. really like the impetus for Scout. He's like, you guys need to just, uh, move on. He's good for that. Start your own He's thing. Very encouraging. Oh, he is. Mm-hmm. He really is. And then, uh, Russell Fromm from Herman's Story yeah. was one of our first wineries also, um, and, and we just grew from there and, uh, carved out, we had a very nice portfolio. We partnered up, um, with Revel Wine at the time who they were not in the central coast at all. They had a couple of central coast wineries and that was their, their difficulty is they're like, we want to bring on these central coast wineries, but, um, they're concerned that we don't have any central coast representation. We're not interested in doing central coast right now. So mm. we'll just... Um, you know, put your name in the hat every time they're asking about Central Coast. But it may not be super active. Is that what they were kind of saying? Like, uh, we will, we will put you in there, but there may not be a lot of traction. Is that kind of what they were there? They just didn't understand the market. Yeah. You know, none of the, the, the the founders were LA and San Francisco. Yeah. This market is very different compared to across industries. It is. Yeah. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> like, oh, well, wow. I mean, I just I hear from <laughs> magazine editors who are looking for ad sales on the Central Coast, and it's really, really hard. I mean, ad sales are hard everywhere. Yeah, but I have heard it time and time again that our county is just bizarre and outside the norm. It is, to, I, and I like that about us. Me too. too. You know, I mean, it's hard to say. But anytime I would have a supplier come work with me on the Central Coast who was used to working larger markets. Um, I would just, I would kind of prep them and be like, this place is a long game. You know, we're not going to walk into anywhere and drop five cases of anything. You know, Mm. it's going to be like a remind, (laughs) remind, remind. And, um, (laughs) I'll do my due diligence after today, but I don't want you to expect after this day to, you know, walk off with a a big sales report in your pocket. It's just not going to happen. Sometimes I'd be, I'd be surprised by, by, and I, you know, feel very fortunate for that day and, Mm -hmm. and tell them such like you did great today. Like, yeah, you (laughs) don't know why you showed spectacularly, you were on it and, and we had a great day, but, um, but yeah, they just, they just weren't interested. They didn't know how to, how to do it, like hire a rep or, so I was already in play. I already knew the, the owners of Revel. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them worked with me at WineWise mm-hmm. and then the other I had known for years through Tally. Yeah. Um, and so they just kind of handed me a bunch of, um, wineries cool. and said, run with it. And some of it was, uh, wineries like Matthiasin, mm-hmm. um, Brock Cellars, mm-hmm. wines that, that, 
at the time were flying in San Francisco yep. and starting to make a big impact. Um, you know, John Bonet's book, uh, The New California. Yeah. 90% of that was and is Revel. Um, but trying to show mm-hmm. those wines around here where people were still and still are um, loving their big uh, f- flavor profiles, but then showing them like a 13% alcohol California wine with yeah. no oak um, and telling them it was, you know, $40 a bottle yeah. was not getting traction. So we still, we, we had those, but we also had our, um, our local, you know, we had our Herman story. Yeah. So we had a little, something which is plenty for, big. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We had something for everyone yeah. there. And, um, so I did that for, for, uh, three years, two or three years. If you don't mind me asking, I mean, did it end because of the lack of interest on things like no, we were honestly, we were probably, um, making more of a dent than ever. And things were going really well. My partner had decided to move to San Francisco mm-hmm. to take a job, um, with Eric Solomon, mm-hmm. uh, who's an importer. And at the time I was like eight months pregnant, seven months pregnant. And with I'm your like, first, no, with your second, second with yeah. my second. And, um, so I was struggling with, uh, holding the company on my own. Mm. Um, and then at the same time, her kind of pulling for partnership still, mm-hmm. even though she wasn't even in the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had told her before, you know, I hired a Santa Barbara sales rep cause she was a Santa Barbara sales rep. I had a central Valley sales rep. I had another San Luis Obispo sales rep to help me with my territory. Wow, this is way bigger than I realized. Yeah. And then I had an office person doing all my orders. Wow. Um, so I had all of the support. I felt very, um, very strong in all that, mm. but then she wanted to move back and she wanted her job back. Basically, yeah. she wanted to take the the territory over, and the sales rep that had come on board had quit another job to come work for us. Mm-hmm. You know, had quit Henry Wine Group, which is mm. a salaried, you know, plus commission, full nice time. Job. Yeah, right. Yeah. And to become a broker with us, mm-hmm. um, where you're commission only, and you got to you know pay attention to your mileage so you can write it off, and you know, everything is. Everything is on your own. So unsexy, the underbelly of wine. I mean, sometimes it's just like you look at, yeah, these people are counting their miles and they are, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of paperwork and compliance and yeah. It is so funny when you can see the whole picture of wine mm-hmm. instead of just picking up your bottle, yeah. pouring a glass and drinking that glass and knowing kind of everything that went into it from, you know, planting the vine to picking the grapes to making the wines in the winery to sending it off to a warehouse somewhere to relying on a wine rep to hopefully show your wines well yeah. um, and getting them on the shelf with with a retailer or, you know, and then how to market it to you, the end buyer. I, it, there's it's so, so many hands. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So um, that it just got for me, it got too stressful. I couldn't figure out how I really didn't want to bring lawyers into anything mm-hmm. um, with Scout. And so mm-hmm. I just sort of closed it. Yeah. And I gave it to her and I said, You can have it. Mm-hmm. I, and I went and worked for Revel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time, of course, they didn't have anyone on the Central Coast because we were basically Revel, yeah. Revel on the Central Coast. And all the wineries that were with Scout just came with me to revel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in some ways it was, it was a hard thing cause I was so proud of it was your baby, what I had built. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, at, and then to watch her kind of, uh, 
she just handed it over mm. to someone else. Oh. Um, oh. So she had it for a short time, and then she basically gave that portfolio to uh, the broker that we originally worked for. Okay. <laughs> that was Man. like this like full circle. Totally. And just it reinforces yet again, I think I've had about six different conversations in the past several days about how hard partnerships are. They just they really are. are. They really I are. I mean, even in the best of situations, they are so prickly and... There's just difficulty there. Um, yeah. They can be so much more than the sum of the two people working uh, for something, but they also, they can just be so, um, yeah, it's hard to navigate. Yes. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we never had a good, on, on paper, it was a sole proprietorship Oh, under okay. my name. And we were eventually going to bring her in under a partnership. But then when she moved, I was like, well... Now you're in San Francisco and mm-hmm. working for, so I wasn't ready to bring her on as partner. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I probably had a case to keep it, but I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to ruin a friendship and drag lawyers into it yeah. and all of that. So, um, it was, it was a good time for yeah. me to step away. And also I had become more and more infatuated with old world wines, mm-hmm. um, and, and wanting to push that envelope some more. Um, I, was getting very tired of having wine buyers tell me all the time, this won't sell, this won't sell, or, oh, I already have a Riesling on the list. Mm-hmm. And that was, I was like, you have, <laughs> you have one Riesling? Like, <laughs> mm. but, but people like choices, you know? Yeah. And, and I would see the same thing like, oh, well now I have, um, cause I used to sell a lot of Gruner Veltliner. Yeah. That was always an easy sell. And then once there was local Gruner Veltliner, then people were saying, well, That's I don't need, wanted. I don't need the Austrian Gruner Veltliner on my list anymore because now I have Baker and Brain or I have, mm-hmm. and I would pour the two next to each other. Like here's Baker and Brain, mm-hmm. great Gruner Veltliner. I'm yeah. not saying anything against it, yeah, yeah. but here's an Austrian Gruner Veltliner and the two are made in completely different styles. Yeah. Of course, grown in completely different climates. Mm-hmm. It is a very different wine. Like even when you try to, to make a very Austrian style Gruner Veltliner here, we're not in Austria. Yeah. It's right. a completely different climate and soil and heritage. Yeah. So yeah. you're just going to get a different wine, mm-hmm. even if it's as close as possible. You have always fought for diversity. When I think about, I, I do think about you among a number of other um, wine folks here who have pushed really hard for diversity. Um, and that's so, I mean, that's, that's a buzzword right now for sure. But I, I want to ask you, before it gets too far, I want to ask you about doing what you do, which is so much, and being a mom. Because I think, um, you know, this is such a small community. We see each other on the soccer field on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I marvel at how much we all accomplish and are still very engaged parents. And I mean, I want to be fair and ask the men who sit in this chair, you know, what's it like to do your job and be a dad? But I think it's significant that we, it's significant what we do. Well, it's a newer part of the conversation Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, it's only, it's only, we're basically two generations away from not working. Yeah. You know, and being expected to be a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we can follow our passions and follow our dreams um, and still be mothers, that's, that's still not as, 
easy for women as it is for men. Even if, even when it's the most dedicated father, it's, Mm -hmm. it's sort of expected for men. Right. But for women, it's something a little more novel. Um, and you know, I'm a feminist, so for Mm -hmm. sure, I'm not going to be like, well, you know, um, it's all about my children. And, uh, I think finding the space, um, to follow your dreams and follow your passion, uh, is, just as important for your children, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. to see, you know, I watched my mom as, um, a teacher and an educator and a very impassioned one mm-hmm. growing up. And, um, knowing that, you know, we were having, she, she did so great, but we would eat at like seven thirty, eight o'clock, yeah. um, many nights, mm-hmm. which my children do too now. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you just say, it's very European. This is very it's Spanish. Very, yeah, we just exactly. eat it. It's like what it is, but, <laughs> but we all sat around the table, you know, um, so you're still having family meals, still having just family meals, just a little later. And that's yeah. what we had to do, you know, cause she'd be at board meetings or, um, you know, working on her classroom or doing grading paperwork or all of those things, um, that were so important to her career. And now I've got the same thing with mine. It's a little, it's tricky with wine Mm. because, um, and especially with my side of wine, if you're making wine, maybe it's a little less so because Mm -hmm. you can sort of, uh, make those a little more into office hours when it's not harvest time. It's seasonal. Yeah. Yeah. When it's harvest time, you're on and you're on. You're always Um, selling though. Always. Right. Right. And not only that, but it's like, if you work in restaurants, Mm -hmm. um, when do people drink wine? Yeah. Not during, not, not from, it's not, at 10 it's not while your kids are at school. <laughs> yeah. I'll right? give you that hint. <laughs> yeah. That's a great And it's point. oftentimes not when they're thinking about buying wine either. So even like when I was at the station and I was, um, selling wine in a wine shop, um, it was still like things really didn't start happening there until around 4 PM. Right. Um, and so my value to a company like that is not necessarily those school hours. Yeah. My value starts later. Um, and that's hard on a family, mm-hmm. you know, that's hard on my kids. And that's, that is largely the, the biggest reason why I pulled back from restaurants. So that's not your story so much anymore. It's part of it. I, I'm a consulting wine director during the day, during the, yes, during mm-hmm. the day. And, um, and I work, you know, one evening a week, I'm always at slow provisions on Wednesday nights. Yeah. But then beyond that, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to work two weekend nights on top of that or what have you. So, um, that's why I went back into sales Yeah, is to kind of, and, and there's so much flexibility in sales too. Yeah. So that, that kind of helps cause I could make my appointments sort of like, okay, appointment until 3 PM appointments up until 3 PM and then pick up the kids at 3 PM, drop them at soccer practice. And while they're at soccer practice, I have one more appointment across town. Mm -hmm. Then I can pick up the kids and take them home. And yeah, it really is. It's the hustle, but um, it makes it, it makes it all work, makes it all possible. Yeah. It's funny you say about, I mean, I, I know that your boys, first of all, know exactly what you do and they're very proud of it. I mean, I, it's interesting. I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for how much our kids admire us. Yeah. Well, I don't know. But so my, <laughs> except maybe they're like, could you not be gone on Wednesday night? Well, that's I mean... part of it. But my 10 year old is in this very ethical, um, mode right now where yes. wine is bad because it's alcohol and alcohol makes you oh, drunk. Cause he's learning about what alcohol is. Yes. And okay. he's, you know, they're in the, you know, it's just say no or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, oh, that's tricky. How do you navigate that? Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this isn't really, you know, it's not, 
it's not like that. It's part of the table. It's mm-hmm. part of, you know, enjoyment. Um, it's part of culture. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's why I, I could never work in any other sales. Mm-hmm. Um, even with a background in sales, uh, to something, you know, I love wine because of, you know, that culture side of it, the history, everything behind it just makes it something different than here's another product, you know, that's, that I can sell on your shelf or even vegetables. I explained that to my, uh, agriculture students at Cal Poly this last quarter. One of them, we had a special guest come in and talk about wine, um, and PR and marketing in wine. And as she left, I said, well, what was your impression? And one of the students said, wine seems really boring. And I just about (gasps) lost my my mind. (laughs) Here they're ag students. And granted, they were 19. um, And so I just, I kind of had a moment. I gave them a monologue about wine is different than, I mean, you can sell okra, you can sell strawberries, you can even sell grape juice or, you know, something else that jam is self-preserving or it's preserved, nothing behaves like wine. Yeah. Nothing. That's true. That's true. And, and I mean, the, just the historical and cultural, uh, relevancy Mm -hmm. of wine and, and then also the impacts that wine has on culture and history, and then adversely the impacts that culture and history have on wine to me are just, it's, it's mind blowing and fascinating. And I love getting deeper and deeper into it. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what also draws me to old world is because there's so much history there yeah. to dive into. Um, we're a little newer here. Yeah. And we, and we are so, I mean, coming back again to we as Americans, it's still sort of an experiment, this whole I don't know. It's a very new country. We don't have the roots Mm -hmm. or just kind of the institutional knowledge that say somebody in Barolo, you know, it's a generational thing, whether they're making it or drinking it, this is our wine. This is how it's done. It's actually written into law. Right. And then guess what? All of our food (laughs) works with this wine. Like perfectly because we've (laughs) tweaked it over generations. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. But yeah, anybody who doesn't have an appreciation for that, maybe ha- doesn't know enough to get into that. I don't know. I find it just fascinating. Definitely. Yeah. So touches on, it's one of the most, oh, it's such a big word. I love it. Interdisciplinary. Like it's geography, it's science, it's math, it's sales, it's, um, you know, it's uh, pleasure also and yeah. gastronomical and, um, definitely. you are an excellent writer. Um, there are very Thank few you. people that I can read their stuff and say, uh, like the, it's flawless and your stuff is so good. Are you looking to Thank do more you. of that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to write a little bit for edible again, Great, which I, I like, but I'm doing a food piece, which <laughs> whatever, <laughs> well, you know, a ton of anybody who's works in wine knows a lot about food too. Yeah. Well, just, yeah, to some extent. Yes. But yeah. yes, I do. I do love food. And, um, so I'm confident in that, but you know, I was at first I told my husband, I'm like, they're asking me to do a food piece. Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a sommelier. I'm oh, stop a, it. Yeah. <laughs> You're so compartmentalizing. <laughs> like, exactly. He's like, <laughs> yeah, but you used to write about food. And I'm like, oh, that's true. Yeah. I forgot about that. So, yeah. What are you writing about? Uh, I'm writing about, it's a whole hog piece. Oh, like nose to tail kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm going to work with uh, Hillary Graves. Yeah. And because I know Stepladder Ranch, they do amazing, but they've they've been covered. Um, yeah, they have. So 
uh, working with uh, Hillary Graves. I'm going to go visit her farm. And I used to sell her wines as her broker years cool. ago in Scout when she had a, a label called Mighty Nimble and before that Graves Wine Growers. So there's just so many great connections here yeah. locally. But yeah, I love I love writing. I, I used to have that, that blog back yeah. in the day, Dear Wine Buyer which was so fun. I forgot to even mention that <laughs> because it was anonymous and you did it on the side. It was anonymous, yes. And um, I caught uh, quite a bit of following. Yeah. Got um, someone reached out from Bravo TV that they wanted to talk to me about like a pitch um, about sort of like that real estate show they had, you yes. know, but do it for wine sales instead. Did you say yes? No. Okay. You, don't, <laughs> you liked the anonymity. Well, I like that. But also, you know, at the end of the day, I'm here on the Central Coast. Yeah. And yeah. the hustle here is different than the hustle in New York or San Francisco or LA. So what I did was I gave them some names mm. of people that they should, that I felt they should reach out to, you know. And at the time, I was a new mom, too. I'm like, there is nothing about my life right now that is sexy <laughs> yeah. for a TV show. Like, nothing. <laughs> You don't want me, people. Right. It's not me right now. Exactly. I'm like, you can find, like, I'm I'm good at writing pithy yeah. little things. Yeah. Um, I can make someone laugh mm-hmm. from behind a screen. But in person, you want someone different. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. I mean, it is a different skill set for sure. I'm sure you would have been great, but not the right season. No. 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 Wrong yeah. season of my life. Totally. So. Well, um, I've been asking everybody. Uh, it's a little bit morbid, but if you were, if you found out that you had, say, I don't know, 24 hours oh, to live. No, 24 yep. hours? I know, it's cruel. Um, what what would we bring you, you know, to eat? What If you could have anything at all, what would you oh, eat? Oh, God. Well, and also like context. Who Do would I get you three eat meals? With? No, or no, I girl, we're talking one meal. You one can have meal, multiple but courses. But it's 24 hours, I'm going to be so <laughs> hungry. <laughs> yeah, but we're planning dinner for you. Give me what we okay. bring you oh and who God. you sit with and what you drink with. Oh, it. wow. You should have prepared me for this. I really should have. We're going to have some dead air you can cut out. <laughs> <laughs> I asked my son, you know, you have five. I said, oh my God. No, 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 no. no. I, <laughs> I said, it's your birthday. If you could have anything. <laughs> I didn't say you're going to so die. You're gonna- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you eat? Go. Yeah, no. But it was cute. He gave me like five courses and wow. maybe someday I'll air it because it's darling. Yeah. God, it's so, that is really difficult because um, I, I, it's sort of like when someone asked me, what's your favorite wine? Yeah. It is really just so, it just depends on the moment. But what, t- I think the thing that's important about this as an exercise is like, what's the food that touches you? It's not the flashiest necessarily, but it's the thing that like puts you in touch with yourself. Oh. Okay, so a part of it would have to be um, a roast chicken. Yeah, it's picking with like your hands. The, the, yeah, the world's most perfect food. It is. And I'm sorry to all the vegans out there, but, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I just, oh, I just had Zuni chicken. I just went to Zuni. Have, for the first time. I actually have the recipe for that, and I've never I've done it. I've made the recipe, but it's not the same because yeah. they they do it over a wood-burning oven, yeah, you can't which I can't, that. you know, you can't impart that smoky flavor that the chicken has. Is that the chicken that you would have? Yes. People talk about that chicken as I would special. have a Zuni chicken. Okay. I would. Um, that would be part of the course. I would have, my, my mother makes or made a dish for us when we were when we were sick or feeling blue mm-hmm. all the time comfort like the comfort food and it was something that her 
grandmother used to make her Italian grandmother. And it was, um, basically like mashed potatoes with mashed, uh, cauliflower and, or not cauliflower, um, mashed potatoes and, and squash, like Mm -hmm. summer squash, Mm -hmm. uh, zucchini and and yellow crookneck squash Mm -hmm. all mashed together with a bunch of Parmesan cheese and a bunch of salt and pepper. Um, what a lovely comfort dish it was and it, it sounds simple and um but it was it was it was really delicious I can't really I can't remember what she called it so that would probably be part of it it tastes like kindness it tastes like mom. Yeah, it can, yeah it tastes like it tastes like love mm-hmm. um gosh what else there would be some handmade pasta in there somewhere mm-hmm. which Eto has completely spoiled me now I because know. it's all I really want is fresh pasta damn like, them I know <laughs> and it's also so affordable it really There's is. no excuse There's for no not excuse. getting it. <laughs> There's no excuse. Um, and it's right there in Templeton, heart of Tin City. Yes. Um, but yeah, definitely some fresh pasta, but just a simple, well, I love guanciale. Mm-hmm. So maybe like a um, carbonara with some yeah. guanciale. Yeah. Um, black pepper. I would drink all of this. <laughs> I would drink all of the wines. I would drink. Well, so <laughs> I'm a little specific on things, sure. right? So um, definitely would want some uh, Loire Valley Cabernet Franc mm-hmm. in there. Probably some Sommer Champigny. Um, definitely some Chenin Blanc. Mm-hmm. Uh, also from the Loire. Sorry, I'm going to get a little French yeah. on you. But then um, I've been loving the reds from Northern Italy. Mm. Most um, more from Alto Adige, like uh, yeah. Schiava and Lagrine. Yeah. Um, so something like that mm. or Etna Rosa from Sicily. It all goes too. Oh, it yeah. actually goes with your meal. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, Jamie, you I may think, not know that's my job. I actually. think largely what, what I eat always kind of works with what I want to drink. Cause mm-hmm. that usually comes first to me. Like, what do I want to drink? When I look at a restaurant yes. menu, I'm looking at the wine list first. Yeah. What do I want to drink? Mm-hmm. And then I go to the menu and I'm like, what do I want to eat? And then if it doesn't work, I'll go back and forth. Yeah. But gosh, I used to be so much better about doing that. And now I just feel so lucky when I get to eat outside <laughs> of my home when I'm not the one cooking and cleaning. It's like, just give me all this stuff. But yeah, I, I used to be more, um, it was, it was the direction my interest went was first the wine and into the food, mm-hmm. but yeah. Not to say I can't go back to that. Well, truly, I mean, there are times that something on the, the food menu will just be, and I'm all about the sides. Oh, you are? Yeah. When you look at the food and you're like, okay, um, do I want, you know, the duck or do I want the quail? Yeah. To me, it's not like, do I feel like duck or do I feel like quail? It's like, okay, what's it served with? What does it How come with? How is it prepared? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's and Jake's way of, he very much cares about sides. Oh, I care so deeply. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and me, I just see fried chicken and it's like, yeah, that's what I want. And uh, something kind of acidic. Yeah, great. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's, a, there's room for that too. Maybe I'd have some fried chicken and champagne in there. Mm. Okay, you've made me hungry. Thank you so much for taking time (laughs) out of your busy life. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been fun. Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Consumed. Special thanks to Chris Lambert, who advised me and edited the show. Want to hear more? Visit letsgetconsumed.com for more tasty interviews and news about upcoming episodes. And please share Consumed with a friend. The more, the merrier. Until next time, this is Jamie Lewis.